Hey guys, it's Briars. Just want to tell you what's going on down at uh, Meltdown Comics in Hollywood. We got Meltthology. Meltthology is a monthly comics jam at Meltdown every third Tuesday of the month. Here's how it works. Show up at the Melt at 7 p.m. and draw a page of whatever you want. At 9.30 p.m. we'll collect all of the art and $3 for printing costs. When you come to the next month's comics jam, you'll get a zine with everyone's contributions inside. There is no set theme, and all skill levels are welcome. Last but not least, Meltthology contributors get 10% off their Meltdown purchase on the night of the event. Go to at Meltthology on Twitter or Facebook if you have any specific questions. Ask for Chuck, and that is at Melt underscore Thology. Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism, brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles and the Pop Sequentialism blog, which is now back and active after a little bit of a, a silence and a makeover. So um, I want to welcome to the show uh, a very special guest uh, to talk about something near and dear to my heart, which is cosplay. Um, my friend Mylon Starley. Hi. Hello. Great to have you on board. Thanks so much for having me. And... What we do pretty much weekly is we talk about the ins and outs of different aspects of fandom and as they relate to comics. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me after going to Kamikaze this weekend that the demographic in the last couple of years has just completely changed. Really? Yeah. If you go back like 10 years ago and you look at the people that were attending Comic-Con or even like the little local small LA Shrine conventions, it was probably 80 to 85% guys. Um, not athletic guys necessarily. <laughs> um, and um, while there's still the demographic that uh, we wish to use dial, um, the just the fan base overall has gotten to be, I think, a bit more social, um, a lot more diverse. Absolutely. I a would lot say, more girls. I, I'd say maybe two to one, if not 50-50 right now. Like yeah. When, when I go to cons now. And I think that a lot of that has been the gradual um, introduction and then growth and popularity of manga, which drew largely on a female audience. Which is where I got started. That's, a, that's, that's actually where I got started. <laughs> I love it when my guests make my ideas true. <laughs> so the, um, it's so funny. I didn't get into American comics until I was in my 20s. Um, wow. Manga is where I started when I was a little kid. And that may be kind of the thing now, I think, for most people who are really involved in the hobby. I was sort of lucky in that, I mean, I did grow up reading regular American comic books, and one of my sisters went into the military, mm -hmm. and she was stationed in Okinawa really early on. Mm -hmm. So I'd get these stacks of amazing and probably not for kids comics <laughs> that were like phone books, and I'd get like a huge package and open it up, and, and of course all of it was in Japanese. So I would, I was either forced to learn Japanese, which I did not do, or make up my complete known original story for what I saw. <laughs> And it was amazing. It was great stuff. And like I say, looking back, I'm like, wow, I don't think she understood that this is completely not for kids my age. But, but they, I'm glad she sent them. What's crazy is they were for kids your age. That's well, not specifically what she sent me. Oh, okay. Which she was, uh, yeah, Jump and Young, which was kind okay. of like, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. a little etchy. But um, it was cool because it gave me a really different view of what it was like in the rest of the world. And even in that, in that type of comic book, there was also like, I think I remember her sending me like some of the boy love comics that were really mm, popular. Mm. And she had no idea what they were. And she didn't read or speak Japanese. But I love the art. And it, it all reminded like, me of Oliver. Yeah. 
she's like hoping she's like maybe we're all no but um the um the interesting thing is that that integration i think over time has led to just a really completely different type of fan and i think and um because we're going to talk about cosplay okay so i have to i have to come clean on my cosplay yeah um my first cosplay i was 12 years old it was um actually no i wasn't i was 13 it was bosscon it was 1985 i think and i dressed up like bob violence from the American flag comic book, he was a hologram. And so I just ran around with a gun and I kept saying, I'm a hologram. And the, it was a costume my mom sewed for me. And I'm looking back, I'm kind of amazed that that my dad thought it was kosher for me to hang out with these older guys uh, for a weekend at a hotel in Boston. And um, and no, uh, I, I probably did drink some Zambuca that weekend. But um, it, was, it was really eye-opening because there were a lot of other cosplayers at this. I'd never seen that before. And it was back in the days when, you know, women were unicorns at, at these things. There were so few of them yeah. that um, it, it was sort of an eye-opener. And I've always had a really kind of warm feeling in my heart for people who go out and do that, especially when they start young. And I mean your career can kind of be seen on an arc of where you are influenced by manga and then comics and video games and gaming and your which celebrity. Is, which is so weird. None of it was intentional. Like I came, I, I'd done all that stuff and I was super into it and it was just always sort of my personal secret because I didn't know a lot of people that shared my interests aside from like chat rooms and mm -hmm. bulletin boards and things like that all over the world, but no one that I personally really knew. And so when I came out here to like pursue acting and stuff, it was just sort of this other thing that I did. Mm -hmm. And then I started vlogging on YouTube. And that is suddenly when I started vlogging about video games and anime and cosplay and all the stuff I love, suddenly everyone was super excited about me. And for me, it wasn't it wasn't like uh, I, I know some people have sort of taken the geek culture and used it to further their careers. Right. But for me, it was just something I was doing naturally. And I was like, oh, wait, you guys are into this stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's cool. This is weird. I've just been doing this since I was a kid. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad you think it's cool. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, and it does speak to the fact that, and what, what year was this that you started vlogging? I started vlogging, I want to say like six years ago. Wow. So. So you're talking about, yeah, you're talking about. 2009. Yeah. So YouTube is still pretty young. Yeah, YouTube is still pretty young. It's just when top bloggers were starting to like, and it's so funny. Someone, someone approached me about because I, I, I at the time was on a show who with one of the top three bloggers on YouTube right now, mm -hmm. um, and they approached me and they're like, "Look, we, if you want to do YouTube, we can make you the top like female gaming blogger." And I was like, "No, I'm really into acting. No, thank you. Whatever." Cut to now, my friend that I was sort of coming up with has two mansions in the Hollywood yeah. Hills, and I'm just like, oh, well, what was <laughs> yeah. I? I? I was like, no, I really want people to take me seriously as an actress. And yeah. YouTube, honestly, it's just the whole market has changed. Yeah, yeah. Well, you look at who they're booking as guests on all the, the nighttime talk shows. Yeah. And almost twice a week, you can count on – one of the guests being someone that's really only famous from YouTube. Yeah. And that's kind of changed the demographic of what people are paying attention to for entertainment. Um, I have a similar story, actually, about turning down a job that I could have used to, to be a little bit um, 
more proactive about things that I wanted to do and and actually how I met our mutual friend James Gunn obviously now incredibly well known by the rest of the world but um and just still an amazing guy so I first met James um through trauma oh yeah yeah and I was out here on the west coast he was on the east coast and he was he had written Tromeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Almost all the people that you see at his parties were uh, were in that that movie. Um, some of our other really I know, good friends. I was very strange. I'm like, thanks, James. Thanks, James. <laughs> <laughs> but the um the the cool thing is that it wasn't until years later when um another mutual friend started dating him, Mia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and they're they're both kind of relatively famous on um. On social media. On the internet. Yes. And that um, I got to kind of really know him. But I had been offered the vice presidency at Troma on the West Coast and turned it down because I was doing a lot of acting and I was film licensing and I thought it would be a conflict of interest. Yep. Yeah. And I could have used that office to just do whatever I wanted to do. I didn't realize that until years later. Yeah. It's sort of you look back and you're like, you know what? Well, whatever. The road I'm taking is the right one. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But to all the kids out there listening, two birds, one stone. It's good advice. Um, So you've you've kind of you start vlogging. Mm -hmm. You start getting kind of um, an amazing response from people. Yeah, it was crazy. I was actually surprised at how many people I was like, wow, why do all these people want to listen to me talk about video games? And then you realize and, that it's it, it's a very connecting medium. Well, within within a couple of months of me vlogging about gaming, I was they asked me I went into audition for Attack at the Show. Mm-hmm. And so and from that it just it went on from there. Wow. Now, how did that lead into Team Unicorn? So essentially from vlogging, it vlogging honestly gave me the confidence. Um For people that maybe don't remember, don't pay attention to L.A., I don't blame you. But about six years ago, five, six years ago, I I just moved out here and the writers went on strike. And SAG, the actors were threatening to go on strike as well. And for a new actor, basically what that meant is no one was going to hire you for anything. Getting an audition was practically impossible. It was was really rough. And, And it made me super sad because I'm out here like just super hungry and ready to go do all the things. And no one... It was really hard to get into a room. Right. Because nothing was getting made and everyone was scared. So I got sick of my life being control of other people's hands and that kind of thing. And so I was like, you know what? Vlogging gave me the confidence to make my own things. And I was with a friend. I was like, you know what? Let's make a music video about all the stuff we love. We'll just we'll make this parody music video. And this was before parody music videos were super popular. Not saying they didn't exist, but before they had reached quite the popularity that they have at this point. Um, and so I was like, let's just let's just do this and have fun. I don't care if it's terrible. Let's just make something and, and feel like we're doing something with our lives. And from that, Team Unicorn was born. Was- and in steps David... David directed that, right? Yeah, David yeah. Yarrow, yeah. Which is amazing. Which is so weird to hear David called David. I'm so used to calling him Yarvo. Yarvo, I know, I know. I, I know. And I'm like, why did I call him David? I'm like, I call him? And I'm like, no one else is going to know Yarvo? who we're talking about. Yeah, so uh, David Yarvoski. Who just directed an awesome movie, The Hive, which yes. you should definitely check out. Absolutely. Through your nerdist. And um, uh, a good friend of <laughs> Sorry, mine. I'm just like, let me right? plug all my friends. I know, I know. No, totally fine, totally fine. And um, my friend Von Saro, who we, we've booked at the gallery for another exhibition, did the, the movie poster art. Oh, nice. It, it's it, This was going to sound to everybody like it's just the greatest case of nepotism gone, gone it wild. It is, it is. Please check out all our, all our friends. All Mia our friends Matsumia are awesome. at Perp Magnet on Instagram. <laughs> yes. James Gunn, a little movie called Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe he's making a second one after. 
<laughs> we're going to take a break right there to hear from our sponsors. And uh, we're going to come back and talk about how um, really, really start talking about Team Unicorn and then circle that back around to a little bit of how, how cosplay is a little bit different now that we're all grown up. Yeah. Be right back after these words. Do you like to binge read your comics? Are you having trouble tracking down all the back issues of your favorite comics? The answer is Comics Fix. Comics Fix is a monthly digital subscription service where you pay a monthly fee and read as much as your heart desires. Go to ComicsFix.com and check it out. The first month is free. Hello and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism, recorded live as always at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. If you hear any noise in the background, understand that there's um, just incredible things happening and people are uh, going crazy in the background. Um, and it's not just somebody being arrested on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> Although that could happen too. That also is a possibility. <laughs> That's also an option. So I have with me here Mylon Starley. And um, she's made quite a name for herself as part of Team Unicorn um, it, as, a, as a vlogger for video games and, and just other amazing stuff that we're all interested in. And I wanted to have her on the show really because it gives a really great perspective on how being a really big fan of something can become your career. Yeah. And starting, you were at four when you were first starting gaming. Four is when I first started gaming. I (laughs) was fortunate enough to be born to a teenage dad who was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Mistakes were made, but I'm going to be responsible. And so my aunts, my dad was the oldest of three siblings. My aunts were teenagers when I came to the States. And Mm -hmm. my dad worked, he worked, um, for a hospital. He dispatched the helicopter for it. Mm-hmm. So he would work like 13-hour shifts um, at any given time. So I spent a lot of time with my aunts and my grandmother because my aunts were kids and still living with my grandmother. Right. And they got video game systems. And when I was little, I was like, oh, what is this? And they didn't know what to do with me. They're kids too. And they're like, here, are you like video games? Go sit and play video games. Yeah. The TV was my favorite babysitter as a child in Mine the 70s. Mine too. Yes. There was a lot less television on. So, I mean, you, Sega you, Genesis. Thank you, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yes. Sonic the Hedgehog was my childhood best friend. Yes, yes. I remember, I, uh, of course, Atari was the thing when I was a kid. And then I remember buying with paper root money ColecoVision and noticing what a huge step up in graphics that is. Oh my God, I'm aging myself. So, moving on. Um, <laughs> So you 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 find yourself. I mean, you have a guest host slot on Attack of the Show. Um, the I Attack. Ha- oh yeah, on ta- Attack of the Show. Yeah, yep, yeah, I did that yep. too. And um, and they were kind of thinking about you for for a yeah. position. Yeah, yeah. I actually went really far with that. Um, <laughs> I I think I've talked about this before. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, but whatever. Uh, so I actually got down to a point to a contractual phase um, for those of you that aren't familiar you get you basically they were trying to figure out someone to replace Olivia Munn mm-hmm. at the time and uh, they were considering me and a couple other girls and when it gets to that point they give you a contract and they're like well if we choose you it's sort of like Pokemon like if we choose you you get this contract but yeah I got I got really far with that mm-hmm. um, obviously they went with Candace Bailey mm-hmm. you know but yeah <laughs> everybody gets what they need to get apparently which is good i 100 percent agree with that yes. and you know i've i i know what went down with that and honestly one of the things i was glad about is team unicorn was this really budding company at the time mm-hmm. and unfortunately there were a lot of exclusionary things with g4 mm-hmm. they they wanted to definitely have control of your career and life 
um, and feel like they fostered you. And Team Unicorn was definitely a conflict for them. So because it's I'd, something that they didn't own, right? Yeah, or they wanted to own. And I, right. I don't know if Team Unicorn would have happened or gone as far as it did if I had gotten that job. Well, yeah, and I also think that not having an easy standby creates a lot more hunger. Hunger, yeah. That you're, you're open to, to realizing, you know what, I need to do this myself. I'm going to go do this myself. Yeah. Huge, huge fan of the character that comes from not getting the easy ride necessarily. The um, Now, Team Unicorn, we talked you know, about um, David Yarvo and directing the video. And so mm-hmm. this is funny. You may not know about this because I told Yarvo this and, and, and he was like, no, I think you're thinking of the real video. I'm like, no, no. So... You know Ground Control Karaoke at the Complex? Yeah. So they have your version. I know. Do you know a funny story about that? Okay, so. Well, be- before we get into this, because people, people are going to be like. You tell me a funny thing, and then I'll tell you a yes. funny thing. So, um, so for the public, um, so the the music video that Team Unicorn did, which was a parody of um, Katy Perry's California, Katie Girls. California Girls and um, Geek and Gamer Girls. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine, I think, reached out to ask for an isolated track of that to make a specific karaoke song for a specific person to get up and sing at karaoke. Wait, was it Wait, did, was it Matt Mercer? No. He okay. didn't make it. He didn't make he didn't um do you the told me isolated track. Honestly, like not long after that came out, I went to Ground Control and sang that song. Yeah. So Howard Hallis was the person who isolated the track to do that karaoke video. He's done, he's done a ton of karaoke videos. Um, and actually was in discussions, I think, to release a whole disc of Bauhaus, like licensed karaoke tracks from yeah. David J and those guys. And so he did it for um, another friend of ours who was who was at Ground Control yeah. and who hadn't been in a while. And um, and so she got got up and sang it Wait, as a birthday present. It? Tina Bowie. Radio silence, but um, not somebody know, that you I'm necessarily just, know. Like, wait, do I but know she was that? a huge comic book fan too, and oh, and one of the awesome. original Ground Control crew. We all go back to uh, um a um a company. I called. heart her for doing that. That's yes. so cute. That's yes. amazing. So and it was like a really big thing. Like it was the first time it had ever been done, and then it became very popular because it went over really big. It was it was in October. Her birthday's in October, yeah. so it was like right around Halloween, and um, and then people were like, oh my god, I have to sing that, and so yeah. So fast it became forward. popular, Ground Control. Yes. So I can tell you a funny story. So yes. a guy I used to date um, back then we were dating, and he used to go to Ground Control regularly, mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of our mutual friends. So we mm-hmm. went there one night, and then he's like, I think they have your song here, and so and I didn't, I was like, no. Absolutely not. Yeah. No way. This this is not possible. And they did. And he's like, you have to sing it. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay, fine, fine. But um, – and I have an okay voice, but I don't have the str- – I, I will not lie. I did not do lead vocals on that. I've, I'm definitely in the chorus and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. I definitely do not have – a lead vocal kind of voice, but I went and sang it. But the best part is someone that I just sort of met that night that was his friend and one of our mutual friends sat down next to me and she looks at me and she's like, oh, you did a really good job with that song. She's like, I don't like Team Unicorn, but you did a great job. And I was like, hi, I'm Mylin. I'm part of Team Unicorn. Yeah, like she didn't even know it was you. That's This This is so funny. I and mean, this this happens uh, all the time in this town, right? And I, I, not in a bad 
I was like, here's the thing. At the end of the day, you don't have to like the things mm-hmm. I do. I, I totally respect that. I have no, I'm never like, oh, you should like everything that, that I create. Um, I totally respect that. It was just so awkward because I didn't know what to, I didn't want to make her feel bad, but I also didn't want to like let, let it, it go, go. and yeah. then be like that dick that let it go. And then later she finds out. Yeah. So, oh man, I said a bad word again. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's, okay. It's, you know, you can say that on television. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I just and 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 she looks at me and I for a second I was like, oh man, what are what are my options here? And I was like, nope, I'm just gonna own it. I'm like, hi, I'm Mylan. I'm part of Team Unicorn, actually. Yeah, it was funny for a little while. There was like a lot of people from Nerdist um, started going to Ground Control, Ground Control? And even when it was still over at uh, Jules Catch One, which is I think yeah, that's where that was originally performed. Mm-hmm. And um, and then when it moved, there was a little bit of a separation. That now there's like two or three clubs over there at Complex. Um, this is gonna sound like the like a very yeah, widely distributed local show. Yeah, I didn't know it was at the show. original one. I didn't even know it was that complex. Now. Yeah, now it's a complex tonight, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now you know what to do later on, but um, so we're gonna fast forward a little bit. So obviously, one aspect of of Team Unicorn is the costumes, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a huge. It's very obviously in tune with the things that you dig. Yeah. So. How did it become what it is? And I mean, it's now kind of a really, really big thing. Surprise! It is surprising. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, it is. And then sometimes people are like, I've never heard of you. But I'm actually surprised uh, how often Team Unicorn comes up and people text me about Team Unicorn coming up and things. Uh, we have this really, really awesome fan base, which I'm so grateful for. Mm-hmm. But for us, for the costumes, it's sort of, I remember when we were doing posters or whenever we have an idea for something, we're like, we all have input on it. And we're like, you know what? I would really like if we had our own superhero costumes, but yeah. they were set sort of in a more classical era. Yeah. That's how one of our posters got done, which became our costumes, which one year we wore, we actually dressed up as our costumes from this poster, mm-hmm. um, which actually became a part of the show for the Team Unicorn Saturday Action Fun Hour. But I remember the four of us were walking the floor and someone, I could see someone's face. I, I could see the light bulbs go off and they're like, oh my God, are you guys cosplaying as team? And that's as far as he, as he got. And then he looked at all of our faces, and he's like, "Oh my God, you're Team Unicorn!" <laughs> <laughs> it was it was pretty awesome. Like that yeah. was that was a really that was a really good moment. The, the most startling thing about that about that tale is that there were four people that could agree on anything in Los Angeles. You've obviously found the four right girls team. that could find a way to agree on something. Yeah, you know, because decision by committee is usually disastrous. But the um, and there's you know there's animation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. this is this is a huge thing. I mean, usually when when shows are are in development, mm-hmm. there has to be this very established, you know, um, gigantic fan base that, and and sometimes it has to involve, you know, a musical element as well. It has to have like two or three different things because for a long time, they just didn't know how to promote anything that wasn't easy to fit into a genre box. Right. And as the Which genre I would say box, Disney, Disney sort of set that kind of standard. Yeah, for, yeah. For animated programming. Yeah, and so now you you've got, I think, the right people in positions of power that are like, you don't have to have the whole garden. You can have these three rows of of vegetables. This is the worst analogy ever, but. Um, <laughs> But that you can have um, a small group of of this whole a small piece of this whole pie, and it will be very loyal following. It'll be great for your advertisers because it comes almost custom made for selling them products, mm-hmm. and that's a really important aspect to getting things done. I'm sure you, you guys don't think about that necessarily, but that when you have 
a show that's as eminently aimed at a demographic that wants to identify with what the show is, you have Keating advertisers. Yeah, yeah. And so whoever greenlit this is a genius. I don't know who it <laughs> well, is. thank you. <laughs> it wasn't me, but I'm just saying. <laughs> but there's – so that's got to be working out really well. It is. You know, it's it's super exciting. I think it's – one of the things is – it's exciting to see something that you helped foster and create and that you put so much love into come to fruition. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys, I'm not going to lie. The first time I got specs of myself as a cartoon character, I, I cried a little bit inside. Yeah. And she's cute. She's so freaking cute. I mean, this is me as a cartoon character. I'm showing him on my yeah. phone for those of you that can't. Uh, but we all we all sort of had input onto what we wanted it to look like, how mm-hmm. we sort of wanted to be. I mean, so far as even boob sizing characters, we're yeah. like, well, Riley's boobs are much smaller, so they should be this one. <laughs> these are these are meetings that we yeah. had with each other. But um yeah, it was just Do you think I should talk about the toy licensing story, um, Mason, for um for the Matrix toys or should I leave that for legal? <laughs> when to choose not to, but um, I had a a a very okay. So um, for those uh, listening to this who have absolutely <laughs> no idea what just happened, um, I'm going to take it as a message from the universe that I'm not going to tell my Matrix story because the power was pulled right as I was about to tell it. <laughs> it was so af- weird after expressing concerns of of uh, legality, but um, it does relate to. Um, Yes, um, proportions on animated characters. And that's all I'll say. Well, um, we're going to move forward. Um, but before we do, we're going to take another little quick break and um, hear from some of our sponsors. There's a lot of great things that are happening here at Meltdown, uh, Meltdown University, and um, this other great podcast on the network. And I'm sure you're going to hear a little bit about that. And we'll be back in just a few moments on Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy. Welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. My guest today is Mylon Sarley of the famous Team Unicorn, and we're here to talk about cosplay. I know I've been promising that we would talk about cosplay, and uh, we will talk about, we will cosplay, talk about cosplay. But um, one of the the things that has been come become sort of a point of contention at places like Comic Con in San Diego and other small affairs is that I talk to a lot of the the dealers that that are selling comic books or toys or whatever. And after Twilight became a big sensation, they they started feeling like the Twihards had overcome the convention. And they're not cosplayers, but um, they had overrun the convention and it became more of a let's see famous people thing. And that it was drawing traffic away from the sales floor while occupying entrance tickets for people who were there to actually shop and enjoy things. And... They tried to kind of reset the way that they did that, and they've been handling it a very different way. But I, f- I feel that now cosplayers are being accused of the same type of stuff, of that really? they go to conventions, that but they don't spend as much money, that it's more about Instagram. And I'm going to make the argument that it's possible for two things to be correct, that cosplayers may be less likely to spend money on product on the floor, but will be spending money at the convention on things that matter to them. Mm -hmm. And so maybe vendors have to adjust their expectations knowing this and that cosplayers account for higher attendance at conventions so that you have to consider those things as well. 
clearly, if I were a 14-year-old boy, and definitely if I was a 14-year-old girl, I would be most interested in going to um, a sci-fi convention or a, um, a comic book convention, knowing that I was going to bump into peers that were into the same thing. And especially if you're a boy, it's like, oh, there's going to be these 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 cute girls in their costumes are going to be there. And I'm sure that there's a lot of not 14-year-old men that um, go there for um, <laughs> possibly the same reason. Um, we won't talk about that. But the um, the energy... Yeah, we should talk about that. We will, actually. The The energy is lifted, I think, at the shows because of people who are into cosplay. I mean, yes, I would agree. I can answer that question in so many different parts. Let me address, like, the first part being cosplayers not spending money at shows. That's actually incorrect. I, at Comic-Con, my first year at Comic-Con, I spent over $1,000 yeah. just on, and that's not even on, like, fancy comic books or anything like that. That's just on stuff. Yeah. You know, and... The thing you have to remember is I go to 10 to 15 shows a year. Yeah. So you're right. At every show, am I going to spend $800? No, because at this point in my life, I've been to so many shows. Most of those vendors I've purchased from. And while yeah. every now and then if they get something new or something I want, I will purchase from again. But I've done it. I've spent my money. I can't keep buying the same things over and over right. again. And now it has to be something really special to get me to spend my dollar, mm -hmm. which is not saying – I mean. That's the one of the main reasons, aside from cosplaying, I go to cons, is to find those u unique, different things from all these like specialty vendors. Yeah. One of my favorite things I got recently is it looks like um, an old Nintendo cartridge, but it's a flask. Nice. <laughs> it's awesome. I saw those. Yeah, mine says Drunk Hunt on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was really rad. So you know what I mean? Like something like that. And it was only 15 bucks, but mm -hmm. something like that. Or And another thing I got from that con, this was Rose City Comic Con. Um, this guy had these replica gremlin ears, mm -hmm. and so I'm going to cosplay in the future with them. My friend Leanna does. Um, uh, oh You've got to be Gizmo. She does Gizmo. Do you have I'm to be Stripe? Gonna, I'm going to do the girl gremlin. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, right, I got right, some right. new ones. Yeah, I'm going to do the girl gremlin with the weird like cow bikini skirt combo. Gremlins too. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Which was a, not the best movie, but some people prefer Gremlins too. Really? It's just weird so to me. So weird. Yeah, it's weird to me, but I um, I see that in movie review guides a lot that some <laughs> movie review guides give Gremlins two a higher rating than Gremlins one. Very. I'm strange. not one of them, but I I'll, I'll uh, respect their opinion. But so that's the thing with cosplayers. You got to remember, we're going to. Way, we're not going to a show once a year where right. some of these other people are. We're going to every show we can right. all year long. Um, in addition, I think... And certainly, in, in, in not necessarily in your defense, but point of fact, that you are a professional... Who who happens to cosplay? Who happens to cosplay? Exactly. Who who goes from show to show? I never I never got into co I got, I started cosplaying when I was a kid before I even knew it was called cosplay. I was like yeah. I want to dress up like Wednesday Adams. Yeah, and I did. And then someone was like, Oh, you're a cosplayer. I was like, Is that is that what I am? I never I never understood. It took me a really long time to realize that. I was like, Oh, I'm just a professional who happens to cosplay. Yeah. I But I do it because I love it. I don't yeah. do it so people will take pictures of me. I've always found that very strange. Um, and then I didn't start selling prints till a couple of years ago because one of my friends who who has become a fresh professional cosplayer, she's like, if you sell posters of your stuff, like, you've got all these awesome photo shoots, you should do something with them. I was like, mm -hmm. do people want to buy that stuff? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so to factor back into people going to cons, people actually go to cons just to see cosplayers, to meet people. Cons yeah. bring cosplayers in as guests because it brings people into the cons. Yeah. So, so I, I think that there, like I say, that 
that it's possible that the vendors need to adjust. You don't bring years ago it would be oh I've I've I do my my round of conventions they'll do you know New York City Comic Con and they'll do Dragon Con and they'll do um, you know years ago there was the Mid Ohio Con mm-hmm. and then um, maybe you know San Diego Comic Con obviously and then maybe WonderCon in 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 San Francisco mm-hmm. and if they were doing that they wouldn't bring the exact same stock to all the shows they would right. kind of formulate well this is going to play well here especially like memorabilia vendors will bring photographs of the guests that are going to be there right. they can sell that stuff so like when hollywood book and poster um was open and eric Hayden was was still alive and i, I worked many many a convention with eric Hayden. um he would put together special segments built around who we thought was going to be there or the guests that were going to be there and and he'd usually do pretty well for any vendor to not consider what the big draw of the show they're at is and not be able to formulate a plan to market to them maybe doesn't deserve to be in business. You know, it's like you talk about the market corrections. I mean, you got to be smart. You know, you yeah. got to understand the audience you're playing to. There's some cons, and I talk to my friends now that I am selling prints, and now that I'm going to cons as a guest, both from being an actress slash host and cosplayer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's weird. It's weird. Certain things will sell better at different cons. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like Dragon Con is much more a fantasy con. It was right. also much more a cosplayer con. Absolutely. For years, but it was out of the RPG thing. Um, you know, uh, I used to go to some of the, um, the RPG cons when I was younger, and a couple of times, it, some of these go from city to city. So I remember, um, and not that long ago, the last time I went to like the big TSR con before um, they were bought by Wizards of the Coast. It was like the big gamer con. I can't think of the name of it now. It's killing me. But um, it was in Indianapolis. Gen Con. Gen Con, yes. Oh, thank yeah. You. Gen Con is still, yeah. yeah. My friend Patrick tries to get me to go every year. And I want to. We, I want to do something together yeah. with him. And I've heard that now because of um, the Blizzard Con, Blizzard that, con. that there's a, a bigger split. That Well, now you've got PAX, PAX East, yeah. PAX. PAX Prime, and then PAX South now, too. Yeah. So there's other, and Booster Teeth's doing stuff. There's all kinds of games yeah. now. So now, like, with the original Comic Con, which has comic in the title. But is, like, the least amount so about comics? So marginal. It is so marginal. There has been a lot of controversy in the last, really, like, the last last 10 years but honestly Comic-Con, people have always complained Comic Con's a separate entity in itself yeah. and it is I mean some of it has to do with it's proximity to LA yep. Hollywood's hooks in it yep. it's just it's it's awesome but it's a different kind of convention and I don't know how to explain it to people I don't know how to explain it unless you've seen it yeah. but it's not quite if you're just going for your love of comic books and stuff I wouldn't I wouldn't I say it's Comic Con sort of like a Disney World situation. I'd recommend yeah. going once in your life, but know what you're getting into. I mean, we always called it Geek Mecca. You know, it was like this huge, um, just traversion. You know, to well, every you, you gotta go there. And now there. there's so much offsite stuff, yeah. which is luring more people into like that don't have tickets. It's yeah. it's madness. I mean, imagine uh, it's getting close to half a million people yeah. just down there to. Be nerds. Oh, I know, and it's really hard to find a hotel room. 
it's so hard. It's, even this past year is the first time I've had an issue, and it's and it's actually making it stressful. It's making the experience stressful and not as fun. Yeah, that that's been the case. Uh, I know for a lot of even vendors that and you find out Sunday night. You know when the next show dates are going to be. They don't release them ahead of time, mm-hmm. and so you've got this really small window to book your same hotel again before they automatically triple, quadruple the prices. Yeah. Um, now the good thing is now there's Airbnb, right? And so, but even that, live, I don't know if you've looked at some of the Airbnbs during Comic Con, but they try. They know too. They know yeah, the market. And they they, just, they charge up, but the, I mean, it gives you at least a possibility of finding a place to stay, whereas before you were just you know out of luck. Yeah. And um, now I find that a lot of people that live in San Diego are spending the week in Tijuana, or they're spending the week in Los Angeles. I don't blame them. I actually I remember. So it took me a long time. I've always wanted to go to Comic-Con since I was a little kid. Anime mm-hmm. Expo and Comic-Con were like top of my list of cons I wanted to go to. But I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and I didn't know, aside from, like I said, aside from the internet, I didn't know any other people that were interested in the same things I was interested in. And so I would visit my mom in Vegas, and we would come out to L.A., and I would see the advertisements for Anime Expo and Comic-Con. And I remember living in San Diego for a year, not even a year, but um, – I lived there for a brief period of time, and Comic-Con was going on, and I would see everyone in their costumes going by, and I, I, I used to work downtown. I was working at a nightclub there, and I saw everyone going by in their costumes and coming to and from the convention, and I was just like, I want to go. <laughs> I, I, was, I felt like Ariel, like in The Little Mermaid. I want to be where yeah. the geeks are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can totally, I can totally understand that. Was that was me, just like nose pressed up against the glass, like, let me in. Yeah. <laughs> Now, it's funny, again, it's like now a, a, a vast majority of the fandom base grew up in a post-internet world, mm-hmm. um, have been able to find their tribe online. Which is know. awesome. It's so much easier to find. Yeah. I found my tribe online, but it's not like, you know, we weren't Skyping each other and that kind of thing. Yeah. So we weren't as connected. It's weird. Um <laughs> It's weird because I've dated guys I've met online yeah. <laughs> through gaming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this this is a thing. I mean, two two things that, that people take away from this, if they take nothing else away from this show, is that geek dads raise awesome kids. Absolutely. You know, so think about that. And that um, the girls that are into gaming and that have, you know, video blogs do date guys that they meet online. That they've met, that they've met through World of Warcraft yes. or other various video games. Yes. <laughs> um, when, I, when I was at Liberation Entertainment, we had first uh, offer. I think we actually purchased it, and I ended up um, leaving the company before it was released. But Second Skin, the documentary Second Skin, we released, yeah. and that was the first documentary to really show what a great impact online gaming was having on people with um, disabilities Mm, mm -hmm. and that it really did supply a complete second life that they could live vicariously through characters online but also and there's it it has the pros and the cons it's not a completely pro gamer thing there's the um, couple gamers that become so obsessed that it really does destroy their lives I mean these are the same people that if if they didn't have video games might have drifted very easily towards other very addictive things that could be just as damaging you know, online gambling, um, you know, anything else. But um, that it's it's really interesting, the, the supportive community that grows out of these games, but how a point-of-view game becomes a second reality in the way that your brain translates what's happening. Well, here's the thing. Um, 
some of my best friends and stuff I've met through games and things like that. And the thing is, I'd spend hours a day with these people online, talking mm-hmm. with them in event and completing tasks, raiding or doing or yeah. going on quests and things like that. And you don't understand, like, you may not be next to that person in real life, but that creates a bond. Like, you're, oh, yeah. you're doing projects together. You're doing things together. And that that creates a really, I mean, that's that's how friendships are born. The things you share with people at 4 o'clock in the morning mean something. It it's does. real. I know that it's sounds real. really dumb, but it does. Some yeah. of my best friends have come from, from I've known them for years online, and yep. and they've become my best friends before I ever met them in person. Yeah, before that, it was chat rooms. And yep. when you were able to start hooking up Navy SEALs and World of Warcraft and play these massive multiplayer games, and you start friendships with those people, it's it's two things you have in common as opposed to an arbitrary reason for having a conversation. And so that's that's a major thing. Um, there's There's got to be, at some point, um, a great psychology report on how there is no difference between virtual relationships and real relationships once they cross over, that you have an automatic history in the back. Absolutely. Definitely a topic for a different show, but I'm glad <laughs> we touched on this. Um, and we're going to take one more quick break before we, um, before we, we bring this, this show home uh, to hear from our sponsors. Again, um, recording live here at uh, Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, where things are so predictable that the power can go out if you, if you threaten to tell a story about the Matrix. <laughs> so we'll be uh, right back with uh, Pod Sequentialism. I'm Matt Kennedy. Teach you the skills to make comic books. Some of the current classes include creating comics, drawing comics for kids, and the art of inking. Coming soon, there will be classes for short film writing, drawing basics, and kids make zines. Go to meltcomics.com and enroll now. Hello and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I am, of course, your host, Matt Kennedy. I have with me Mylon Sarley, a member of Team Unicorn. Um, she's, she's the cosplayer who made it, kids, and she's not alone. <laughs> There's, this is a growing thing. This is, um, this is the world that we know now, that... The people that we're seeing on late night television talk shows are people who are famous from YouTube. Um, you know, we talked about um, the fact that, you know, the opportunities that are now available to people who to take fun seriously have kind of exponentially expanded. And so the interest in watching people talk about video games is very much at the same pitch of watching people talk about sports, of watching people talk about I mean, you name it, relationships. And so now that you have an animated version of you on television. Yes. Like, not on TV yet, but we've created a pilot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there. Soon, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. coming at you. The, um, so has your, have your parents seen it? Uh, my dad has. My mom wouldn't get it. She wouldn't get it? She wouldn't think it was awesome? My mom is very Asian. She's, She's very, just not going to tell you that she thinks uh, it's awesome. I don't know if you guys have seen Fresh Off the Boat, but my oh, mom yeah. my mom is like the Philo- Filipino, Japanese, Chinese version of that mom. <laughs> she's she's just it's very it's very the same. Like she she's been in this country for the majority of her life but mm-hmm. still has a very strong Asian accent yep. and just refuses to become Americanized and is very like So, yeah, it's I, I love Constance Wu. I, I I love Constance Wu. I'm gonna say it one more time. I love Constance Wu. Um, I actually I I get to claim something really amazing, and it, it makes it sound like I did something great, and I really didn't. But um, um, 
I released the very first film that she ever acted in. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it did not do well. She's great on that show. She's honestly one of the best things about <laughs> She was a walk-on in, in a film called Stephanie Daly, which is an awesome movie that the right audience didn't get to see. MPAA sucks. But um, anyways, the um, I do get that. And there is a lot a lot of girls who are, who are in this part of fandom. And whether illustrators, I, I represent a lot of Asian artists. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Asian mom thing's real. Yeah, oh, yeah. I people think that's the thing. People thought like Fresh Off the Boat was gonna be super. Ra- I even thought before I saw the show it was gonna be like, kind of racist and very mm-hmm. stereotyped and whatever. And I was like, nope, that's my mom. Yep, yeah. I've had these conversations. Yeah, <laughs> not not a lot of giving it up. Not a lot of yeah, you did a great job. Yeah, Let's do a better job next time. Yes. But I wish my mom would say. Why too. you not be a lawyer? <laughs> I'm gonna say I, I did not make that voice. Don't don't hit no, me. No, I did. That's <laughs> that is that I that is literally how my mom has said that to me. She's like, yeah, but why why you not be a lawyer? Like you make so much better money. No, my my voice does get high pitched, and people could uh, could think I was doing a voice. But um, your dad saw it and loved it. Yeah, my dad, my dad, my dad is super sweet. My dad is just, I think my dad is just really excited as long as I'm not on the pole. He's yeah. just like, man, this is so great. I'm so proud of you. He's done his job. Yeah. He's done his job. <laughs> telling you, geek dads, geek dads raise great yeah, kids. Yeah, as long as I'm not on drugs or on the pole, my dad is just super, super enthused. Mission accomplished. And even then, you know, my dad, there's nothing wrong with being a stripper or anything like that. I swear to God, even if I was, even if I was a stripper, my dad would be like, look, I won't watch your shows, but I will still support you. And he'd be like, yeah, like, she He's still doing a really good job. Yes, yes. Well, support, support's important. So the um, what's the next steps? What, what else you got going on? So I actually have a couple of different shows in development right now. So we've got the Team Unicorn show. Mm-hmm. I have another show that's about nightlife, um, something different, but also a big part of my life for people that don't know. I've actually worked in the nightlife industry since I was 16, and mm-hmm. it's just this crazy, wacky world. And then I have one other show that is in development, which is actually about cosplay. Nice. So. It's all it's all really exciting. Who knows by the time this airs yeah, yeah. in six weeks you could have a hard contract. So uh, that's if good. only Hollywood moved that quickly. Well and and I mean let's not forget you've you've had you're in two episodes or three episodes of three How I Met Your Mom Mother. Of How I Met Your Mother, yeah. 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 Recurring character, that's always good. And it's yeah, a legendary show. It didn't show. start that way either. It was cool. They liked me so much they brought me back. That's the best thing. That's the best thing. A a a guest star. Which just back on what I just said, in which I played a stripper. Excellent. <laughs> which was the best conversation ever, because How I Met Your Mother is one of my dad's favorite shows. So I'd be like, hey, Dad, guess what? I'm on your favorite show, yeah. but I'm playing a stripper. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was pretty great. That's good. That's good stuff. So, okay, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, again, I, I thank you very much for having you on. Thanks so much for but having me. Before before I do, I, I have to give it up that um, – a game that we play often at James Gunn's parties is called Mafia. Oh my God! Yes. Um, people need to look this game up. There's different variations. There's Mafia, a vampire version werewolf, of it. Yeah. yeah. And you are a really good player. You are a really good Mafia player. It's surprising. Like you're really. <laughs> I don't expect you to be as 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 vicious a killer as you are when you're one of the one of the the Mafia. But very the thing very is, good at it. People have got caught onto that. People know that me, Yarbo, and a couple other people are good players, so they yeah. they try and take us out right in the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's very frustrating. But um, which speaks to your good acting chops. Well, thank so you. I'm gonna give you a little applause right here. A big clap, a golf I'll clap. Take that. <laughs> and um, we hope to tune in next time for the next episode of Pod Sequentialism. 
I am Matt Kennedy. I am your host and uh, look forward to it next time.